<laughs> Welcome to the Regeneration Podcast. Welcome back. This is uh, I am your co-host, Michael Martin, with mm. with my, my brother in arms, Mike Sauter. How's it going, Mike? Good. You know, I don't, I don't think I've ever done this, Michael, but um, I want to send a shout out. My daughter, my oldest daughter, Mary's father-in-law just had some surgery. It's pretty serious, but he's also South Carolina. Uh, Mary and Doug are down there visiting Edwin Crowder right now, and he had some surgery. But it, what's funny is that he's a, he's a fan of the podcast. And I mean this, like Edwin's a very brilliant, very, very, very brilliant guy. So we have some... Uh, it's an honor because we have some pretty good listeners and he, let's he gets pray, something from it and I'm pretty, yeah, absolutely. Let's, pray for him. let's ask all our listeners to, to pray for him as well. Amen. Yep. He's, uh, the surgery went well and he's recovering. So that's, yeah. How are you doing, Michael? Ah, uh, it's well, you know, when we talked before the whole energy changes on a farm at this time of year. Yeah. And so now my, my activities, well, we still have, even though we had really hard frost this, this week, we still have a lot of vegetables out in the garden. Well, yeah. uh, but I'm also getting ready for deer hunting, which is a big About deal. that season, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, plus, oh. I mean, <laughs> we do it. It's a it's a survival thing for us. Um, and I've been making tinctures. <laughs> tinctures. Of, tinctures. Uh, okay. Huh. So what did I do so far? I did a turkey uh, turkey tail mushroom one. I'm working on right now. I did propolis, which you know, propolis is that stuff from the beehive, right? The glue. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. Which is actually propolis is really good for dental health and it's antibiotic and it's super. So good. you're just kind of putting it into a tincture and kind of rubbing it on your gums yeah. and touch. I'm moving into alchemist hunting mode. Yeah. Huh. Uh, who was who was our guest who made tincture? She was really great. And are you following her her method? Uh, Mary Walters. Yeah, she, she was awesome. Everything. Yeah. I haven't heard from her in a while. We I see pictures from her on Facebook where she hears a lot of things going on with her children. She's got like me. She's got nine kids. Yeah, right. I love so, how they would take family vacations and literally, literally just get in the van and follow the Holy Spirit and have no idea where they were driving. And the kids would all of a sudden find out they were driving north and get all bitter. She's incredibly. I mean, as you know. A true she, hippie. She has the most developed intuition of anybody I think I've ever met. Yeah, yeah. I got that impression. But oh. so the other thing though is this week, finally, it was a, it was a hard what well, was I was enjoyable, but it was painstakingly slow project of writing uh this introduction for, to Novalis's uh Christianity or, or Christendom or Europe. And that's going to connect to our guest. Yeah. I just reread it. I just I reread it. I just reread it this morning in a, from uh, this. Okay. Yeah. So I mine is this one here. Oh, and, oh right. Yeah. For, oh, right. Yes. In, yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Which is right. useful. I you know, I want to get that because it's uh, good to do all in one, uh, all in one volume. Uh, yeah. Like a lot of things. Into English. Uh, yeah. Mm. And actually, this edition, I think it's going to have spiritual songs as well as um, some, not all probably, of the religious fragments from Novalis's vast... Is it a new translation or just some editors oh, from Angelico? It's a it's a reprint. It's actually a reprint of the one I did in the Heaven. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> what I asked the, the publishers, the, the which one are you the big translator of Novalis, of course, is George MacDonald, the, uh, yeah. the, yeah. the Scott, uh, 
himself a romantic and uh right it's, and it's actually, his versions uh, of hymns to the night that are in my body you know that's those are the ones i've read countless times his translation yeah, and, and it is his his version of the the, the spiritual songs that will be uh, oh, okay. uh, this uh the uh the hymns on, on the next and the spiritual songs uh, oh, okay you came prepared <laughs> yeah. so so this is at, this was at my segue into our guest today father anthony chadwick who is a a priest of the anglican catholic church did i get that right that's right, yes. My sister, yes. My, my sister, my wife is a huge fan of the Anglican Catholic Church. And there are a couple in our state, but they're kind of far away. Otherwise, we'd probably visit. And I do know a friend of mine attends services, and he's a member of a parish of the Anglican Catholic Church. I think uh, maybe near Grand Rapids. I don't know exactly where it is, but it's someplace in the state of Michigan. I'm going to Google him for around my area and see if I know anybody here. Yeah. And and I I got to know Father Anthony. I don't even know how. Uh, I think Ooh. you must have bumped into my blog or something. Um, yes, I think I think I did. And then I started. Uh, I, bu- I bought um, I bought these uh, these two books of yours. Oh, thank you. Yes, I found them very okay. interesting. Mm. And uh, well, and so because Father Anthony and I think were are brothers from the same mother. You know, or brothers from another mother, because I can see the connections. Yeah. Well, no, seriously. Okay. Um, so, but Father Anthony, and I'll let him tell most of the story, had kind of a circuitous route to becoming a priest of the Anglican Catholic Church. And but what you know, what I loved about when I encountered Father Anthony's blog, it's uh, what's the name of it again? Romanity. Oh, um. Uh, oh, uh, the the blue flower. There's, there's the or well, the um. Just a minute. The uh, the YouTube channel is Romantia Christiana, and uh, and the and the blog is uh, the blue flower. The blue flower. Yeah, yeah. Alex himself, right? Mm. <laughs> but but in as and as a lot of you might know, listeners, I've been writing a lot over the last couple of years about this idea of Christian romanticism which I see is intimately uh, sociological. And there's okay. yeah. Anthony's yeah. book. So that's why, that's why we had to have him on the show. So first of all, uh, Father Anthony, if you could just describe your, your kind of itinerarium from, I think, a, a boyhood in the Anglican church to where you are now, that would be wonderful. Oh uh, well, it's it's. Uh, I think I'll, I think I've got a way of um, of uh, winnowing it down a little bit. I I was I was more attracted by beauty in church services and churches than uh, people uh, quoting the Bible and uh, and uh, and and coming up with uh, with ideas and uh, and teachings. I was more interested in beauty. And uh, this led me to high church Anglicanism in London, and from then I um, I was doing a harpsichord making course in London, and uh, I uh, was attracted to uh, to traditional Roman Catholicism because it seemed to be a kind of uh, upgrade, as it were, of uh, of of high church Anglicanism. 
but unfortunately, uh, for the most part, it's uh, motivated by uh, by extreme right wing nationalist politics, rather than by beauty, truth, and goodness. Um, I went to study uh, theology in Fribourg. Uh, I'm sort of fast forwarding a bit to try to keep this uh, uh, succinct. And I um, I felt very sort of uh, down uh, with Roman Catholicism and the idea of becoming a priest. And I was very conflicted between the uh, integralism of the traditionalist and the uh, the beauty I, I sought. What year was this, Father? Uh, I'm talking. I'm talking about 1998, 1999. Long time ago. No, yeah. no. Wait a minute. 1989. Uh, okay. Around about 1989. Uh, okay. So, so getting on towards 1990. Mm -hmm. I then, uh, on finishing at uh, Freiburg, I um, I joined the seminary of Griciliano in Italy. The uh, the Institute of Christ the King which is quite known for its uh, rather sort of pompous Italian flamboyant style. Mm -hmm. uh, but it seemed to be less uh, less political, although it has remained very uh, tradition, family and property, and the, that very that very much that very totalitarian uh, um, uh, view of uh, of Catholic life. We had a guest on Dominic D'Souza, whose dad is a big muckety-muck in that movement. And Dominic himself does not associate, but uh, has had a really good feel for it. Uh, continue, yeah. But um, so I was uh, I was at uh, at Freeburg University, and um, I was uh, I was recommended to uh, uh, to read uh, because I started to become interested in orthodoxy. But without sort of going very, very far into it. But one author I discovered, of course, was Nikos Berdyev. Mm -hmm. And and he uh his uh, the uh three books I found I found secondhand in London uh were the oh dear, that's uh, falling to pieces. Uh, the meaning of history. I was going to say that's the best meaning of uh, the creative act and solitude and society is my third favorite. Mm. But meaning of uh, history is key. Yeah. And uh, spirit and reality. That's great. Uh, it's very much, uh, very much to do with. Sorry, I'm holding in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. uh, very much to uh, to do with his metaphysics and epistemology, and. Um, and this was my particular favorite was freedom and the spirit. Yeah, yeah I have that too. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, these three books, oh, oh, of course, run uh, this other one, which is more of his uh, the, his uh, view of history and the uh, the end of our time, which uh, yeah, just that, that we would be coming back to a a new middle age after uh, after mm -hmm. modernity. Well, uh, of course, he lived in the in the in the thick of the Russian Revolution, and he um, he came to France, and uh, and died in France in the I think in the nineteen fifties or something like that. Nineteen forty eight. Uh, but um, uh, he, uh, his his marriage was pretty cool too, right? His wife and his wife's twin sister, right? And then he uh, they had a cat named Murray, and he wore a lot of perfume. 
But Ooh, the, uh, the, 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 yeah, a lot of perfume. But the household oh. there in Paris, I can almost smell it when you read some of his descriptions and so forth. Um, two Ooh. women and two women, a cat they all adored, and Bird Jaya himself, who just <laughs> doused himself in perfume. Good heavens, good yeah. heavens. Well, of course, I, I couldn't possibly know because it was a, uh, he lived uh, such a long time, a time yeah. ago. But uh, one thing that uh, um, he uh, led me on to uh, uh, this this fellow, um, Jakob Burma, uh, genius of the transcendent. These are writings of writings of Jakob Burma, the the shoemaker in um, in in Germany. And this is a capital. This is a capital figure, a kind of a kind of reaction against, shall we say, dogmatic Christianity. Not to say that I deny the you know the the dogmas or the creed and so on, but this this very this very this kind of Christianity that's based on teaching and the word and the um, uh, this kind of thing rather than the search for beauty uh, but Jacob Burma um, he, um, um, he's very difficult to read very difficult and to to, to understand uh, uh, especially the, the notion of the ungrund that I sort of uh, I've had sort of inklings about what the ungrund uh, uh, what the uh, well, I think one of the one of the <laughs> the greatest symbols of the Ungrund on this earth is the sea, mm -hmm. and I've always been fascinated by the sea, especially a stormy sea. Don't you think? Uh, well, stormy seas, but uh, uh, well, I don't sail on sort of stormy seas. I only sail on <laughs> seas. Right, you're a sailor. Uh, but uh, but stormy seas, it's it's really fascinating. I've just put up a. I just put a, a post on Facebook with some uh, pictures of the, this of this recent uh, storm we had this this last week, mm. uh, Kiaran, and I uh, and I superimposed it with the storm passage from uh, from um, uh, from Richard Strauss's um, Alpine Symphony, <laughs> uh, which is um, which is um, guaranteed to to pull the tears out of my eyes. It's mm -hmm. absolutely terrifying. Uh, there's a there's a terrifying um, there's a a sense, um, and I've always I've always had this this sense with uh, uh, with stormy seas. I um, I mentioned that in my romantic Christ, romantic Christianity, that when I was twelve years old, my family we went to Portugal, and there was a very uh, uh, there was a nasty storm. It was in August. And uh, I was standing on the pier facing the sea, and a bit too near the water for my for my mother. She uh, she got very worried about it and came to uh, get me away from uh, any possible danger. Uh, although I, really I was I, I wasn't I, I wasn't I wasn't actually in a in a situation where I feared for my life, but I was just absolutely taken by this this anger. Well, this uh, this this fury that uh, that we find in some of the romantics, we find uh, we find this in some of the some of the English romantics, like uh, um, uh, like Shelley and um, uh, and Lord Byron. Right. Um, so, about how old were you in that in that that time, Father? 
I'm sorry. How old were you when that happened? Um, well, uh, this is this is when I was at university. We're talking about uh, I think I was something like uh, 30, 31. No, uh, that's when you went to Portugal with your family. Oh, oh, when I went to Portugal with my yeah. family, I was twelve. Twelve. Because yeah, you're reminding me. I haven't thought about this for years. And I don't remember it, but my mother told me about it when I was probably three years old. My family and my grandparents went to uh, boat races they would have on the Detroit River. And we were all standing by the edge of the dock watching the boats. And there was a little splash. Nobody paid attention to it, but my grandfather looked down and I had fallen into the water and it was 20 feet deep or more. And as I bobbed up, he grabbed me by the hair and pulled me out. Well, oh, wow. Which I don't recall, but well, <laughs> as a child being, being a little terrified of rocky boats, and I think that might have something to do with it. Well, especially if you haven't yet, yet learned to swim. <laughs> uh, How about that uh, that famous prayer of the Breton fishermen? You know, the sea is so wide and my boat is so small. It's just that one-line prayer. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, yes, yes. You know, I well, think I that's the essence of it. Yeah. Well, it's certainly that's uh, that's another that's another very important thing in my life was uh, uh, Brittany, right? Uh, well, uh, Brittany, and uh, and also when I was around about sort of ten, eleven, twelve, I was fascinated by uh, Jules Verne and the uh, mm. and the Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, the Nautilus, yeah. uh, uh, Captain Nemo. Mm-hmm. And um, and the and the um, one thing I didn't fully understand at the time was Captain Nemo's uh, um, fury at the um, at uh, at uh, at wars in the world uh, involving uh, involving navies. Mm-hmm. And he saw his his mission is to to go and destroy warships. I didn't know uh, that. Yes, and uh, yes, he he would he had had a special kind of submarine that uh, could ram ships without destroying itself. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, well, I sort of I, I sort of realized sort of later on that uh, well, it's not something that we can we can do, but one can understand the emotion. Yeah. Uh, um, and there's a lot of this in this world today. There's a lot of this uh, unchanneled. Uh, Unchanneled anger and fury. Uh, so this is this is one thing you know we do have to be uh, aware of. Um, so anyway, I'll come back to my own uh, my own. Uh, oh yes, my my own discovery of um, of another way of seeing uh, Christianity uh, through Berdyaev and through uh, Burma. And that led me to uh, m- much later on. It was uh, I was only about only about uh, three or four years ago that I discovered Novalis. Mm. Um, and I sort of, um, at an emotional level, I almost fell in love with him. And I thought, how can you fall in love with somebody who's been dead for <laughs> for, for my, uh, since 1801? But I was I sort of. Felt a kind of uh, uh, a kind of union with him, a kind of uh, that uh, yes, uh, without sort of uh, uh, without sort of being able to rationalise it very much. 
Um, whilst I was at uh, Freeburg University, um, we did a, a seminar in church history on uh, on liberalism, as in uh, as in uh, Lamennais and uh, Chateaubriand. And Lamennais is my he's been a, a thirty year fixation for me. When you were mentioning like Brittany and the stormy seas, Father oh, Anthony. Malo, yeah. Yeah, so Lamennais, you know, he was, yeah, and what he did, an early childhood experience for him, which was a stormy sea, was he was looking at the coast, you know, in Normandy, and he just said, he just knew he saw more than other people saw, and he didn't know what to do with that, you know, well, he, was, uh, he was amidst a group of people, and he just saw more. And, well, he knew, uh, yeah. uh, he, he was born in, in St. Malo, and yeah, right. uh, I've been to St. Malo many, many times to, to sail out of the Rons, and uh, Round the uh, the, uh, the Isle of Cézambre, and uh, there's, there's a channel. There's a channel to the northwest if you want to avoid the rocks. Mm -hmm. Very very rocky. It can be very dangerous if you're not careful. If you if you don't have good uh, a good chart and uh, mm -hmm. and uh, and it is it is uh, uh, there are there are boys there are channel boys that uh, port and starboard channel boys. Yeah. So you can uh, so you can uh, you can. Uh, uh, if you're observant, if you're careful, you can you can do that without any danger. And then, of course, you can go west, past the coast of um, uh, of D Dinar, and then uh, uh, and then off towards uh, uh, the the Bay of Saint Brieuc, which is absolutely magnificent. Round the corner of um, around the corner of the uh, 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 oh yeah, the Caprera. Which is which can be quite frightening. With the, you can get quite a lot of chop there, with the currents coming going past. But the site is absolutely magnificent, with the castle on the on the cliff edge, and then the the two lighthouses up on the up on the up yeah. on the top of the cliff. And um, uh, if you look on my YouTube channel, you'll you'll find uh, you'll find some videos of me doing that. Uh, uh, I've uh, I've been twice past uh, the Cap Frayel. Uh The first time I wasn't successful in reaching the island of uh, of Briel because there, there was I was very very concerned about the weather. But the second time uh, I was with a friend. We were we were in two boats and uh, we made it all the way there to to, to the uh, to the uh, to the Isle of uh, hmm. um, uh, of and then we uh, and then we and then we sailed we sailed back. The conditions were quite good. Sometimes the uh, the chop was a little bit uh, tricky, but uh, but apart from that, it was. Um, but um, yes, say uh, yes. This uh, the sailing. That's uh, that's very much part of my childhood um, desire. And I actually, uh, I actually started to learn to sail when I was when I was fifty. And so I sort of made something up. But anyway, I'll come back to my university days uh, with um, liberalism and blamine. And uh, I, so I prepared a, a, um, a talk on, on blamine. Of course, it was a very long time, time ago. He was a very odd fellow, very, very odd, uh, partly romantic and partly uh, revolutionary rationalist. Um, very much a man of the 18th century. Um, uh, but the the book I most referred to uh, was was this the um, Bernard Reardon, okay. in the age of romanticism. Um, this is this is particularly good. You've got uh, Lamennais and Parole and Croyon, 
and uh, Gilberti Rosbini in, in Italy, German Catholic theology in the Romantic era, and of course you get to uh, you, you get to the idealists and to to Novalis. But I think that's that's a particularly uh, valuable introduction. Um, I was unaware of the book, so I'm I'm, no, I'm well, setting it, it to myself. Well, yeah. it, it, um, I'm I'm sure of it. It's a, a published by Cambridge, and it's a standard work. Um, so that's the the work I used to prepare my uh, the seminar work, and uh, I've often been back to it since because the, there's uh, there's quite a lot on uh, there's quite a bit of difference between um, French Romanticism and German Romanticism. Uh, French being yes, yeah, it's hard even between like say Laminet and Novalis. There's just it's hard to draw a line, and you know, and, uh, and they put Laminet in conversation with like uh, I don't know how you pronounce it, Shadiev, you know, in 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 Russia at that time. But you know, having been uh, a big fan of Laminet or like just read everything I could, um, it's it's hard, Michael. You'll have to read this guy. Go deep into Laminet sometime. You're one of the few. You could probably make connections I couldn't make, but he's so seminal. And, and Lamine had a lot in common, of course, with uh, uh, with Chateaubriand. Yeah. Uh, Génie du Christianisme, which is very much the French uh, uh, aestheticism. And that sort of joins up with uh, the one thing I've been very struck by is the, uh, the parallel between French liberalism and the Oxford movement in England. It was almost exactly, uh, almost exactly contemporary, but I don't, I haven't found any evidence that uh, that they corresponded with each other. Somebody like Laminet or Don Garanger or uh, or, or Chateaubriand, uh, mm -hmm. these uh, these these were the people responsible for reviving Catholicism in France, without which, uh, well, uh, the the revolution had had devastated everything. Um, everything was utterly devastated by the French Revolution. I just, I'm in the middle of a book now by a really great American Catholic historian, John T. McGreevy, just called Catholicism, and it's taking the Catholic Church from the French Revolution to the pro the modern times. And to your point, uh, yeah, I mean, some of these guys like Montembert and you know they Montembert, fled, they had, yeah. yeah, they had to flee France for a time. But you're right, um, they had more connection with like you know Irish. Uh, you know, people fighting for the dignity of the working class than they did with the, oh, yeah. the thinkers oh, yeah. in the Oxford movement, right? And this is what you'll find in the Oxford movement. You'll find mm -hmm. the, the slum priests of the 1850s and 60s. Right, right. So everything is, everything converged, but without without it being a, without it being a, an institution or, a, or an organization, there was a convergence of thought. And this is one thing that I've, um, I'm, been discovering with the um uh with for example the inklings uh c.s lewis and tolkien and uh and owen barfield fa fa fascinating fascinating people have you read the book michael you've had it the one on the inklings called romantic religion that's yes. a yeah that's an excellent 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 book uh, who's the author of that one again i forget it so google it Oh, romantic religion. Uh, I, I wasn't know. prepared for the test. <laughs> Just one moment. Uh, uh, I went to, I went to spend long on, on... Oh, yes, here we are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gentlemen, this is the difference between Father Anthony and myself. It'll take me 20 minutes to find a book in my, in my life. <laughs> at, least, at, least, 
At least I, uh, I, I never yeah. by now. The last yeah. name, yeah, that's really great. It's a great book. Uh, this one's marvelous. Yes, and you can tell he's most fascinated with Owen Barfield of all of them by far. Uh, oh yes, absolutely. And uh, Owen Barfield's um, um, love of uh, Rudolf Steiner. Seminal for us, Anthony. Pretty seminal that connection for this podcast. Yep. Uh, I think that's a, that's a well. It's that's not a, bit, a rabbit hole that I've particularly been down. Yeah, but yeah. I think it does need to be explored um, because I've been. Uh, uh, this is uh, this is an interesting one. I haven't uh, I haven't read it entirely. Oh yeah, Mark. We we had him on. He's great, and it's a great book. Yep. Yeah. So he's been on the podcast. Yeah. That's uh, uh, Mark Vernon. Uh, interesting fellow. I don't know. Uh, well, I suppose he um, uh, he's probably got fed up of the, uh, the the bureaucracy in the Church of England and so on. Sounds like it. <laughs> he never he's never said. I don't think. But <laughs> well, it's the impression I have, but I might be completely mistaken. I've never met him. Uh, <laughs> But I've I've seen him talk. I've I've heard and seen him on uh, on on YouTube videos, and uh, he seems a very 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 interesting fellow. Uh, oh, oh, that's a um, Jace, Jason Baxter, the medieval mind of C.S. Lewis. I haven't mm -hmm. read that yet. I've only I haven't read that. Yeah. Recently. But uh, that's that's uh, that's another job for this winter uh, uh, whilst the boat lies out there covered in a tarpaulin. <laughs> yeah. well, how, how close are you to the sea? Um, takes me about uh, two and a half hours to to get to to the Rance. Okay. Uh, so the, the uh, Pruessio Rance is where I uh, uh, if I'm if I'm if I'm sailing northern Brittany then I uh, I launch in the Rance, and then I go out through the um, through the lock, and uh, and then I can either go uh, go east to to um, uh, towards the bay of uh, the Mont Saint Michel, or, or you've got to be very okay. careful. You've got to be very careful in that bay, Granville, and uh, the Isle of Chausey. That's a, that's a project I have for next year. Nice. Uh, so this uh, anyway, I, I don't want to. Yes, I, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to di digress too much. Um, but uh, I've still got. To, uh, oh, and then it takes me about uh, three and a half to four hours to get down to southern Brittany. To uh, that's let's say with the boat on the back of the car. On the, uh, you're in Paris, right? Sorry, no, 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 Paris? no, no. I'm in. Uh, I'm near near a, a town called Mayenne. Um, let's uh, let's see for uh to the northwest from Le Mans, and uh, shall we see between uh, if we look at Le Mans and uh, the Mont Saint Michel, okay, yeah, the map, okay. and you and you look sort of midway between the two, you'll find okay. Mayenne, and then I'm in a little village to the east of uh, to the east of uh, Mayenne. It's a little village called Chonjeniter, and you have a nice Anglican. Uh... Catholic parish, sir. Oh no, I don't have a parish. Oh, okay, I, did, I wondered. Okay, I'm, yeah. I'm sort of uh, well, uh, without uh, without being officially a hermit, but that's sort of I just sort of discovered that I am a hermit <laughs> <laughs> uh, without you know without wearing a, a monastic habit or anything like that. Uh, that's probably another another thing in my uh, another influence in my in my life is the. Uh, 
the uh, the rule of St. Benedict, the, the time I spent uh, six months at the Abbey of Trior, at the behest of my former superior, uh, that's another story I was sort of, uh, uh, because I'd left his institute, the, the institute where I went to seminary in Italy, and I regretted it and went back. Uh, my superior said, all right, well, you spend six months in the, with, with the monks so you can be a working guest. And then if that goes well, I'll take you back. <laughs> of course, he had no intention of doing so whatsoever. Uh, but anyway, that's uh, that's um, that's uh, that's neither here or there because I'm very glad I, did, I didn't, uh, because I would have gone through the same the same um, problems as uh, as before. <clears throat> Basically, of relating to uh, perverse narcissistic personalities. Uh, basically, um, yeah, I know. Yes, I've got a, um, I know. I know. Downpour outside, you know. So that's not, that's not neither here or, nor there. Yes, yes. Um, without digressing, I've got to stay on the subject. Uh, I went to spend six months at Trior, and I was quite surprised how how similar modern monastic life is to uh, the army. It's absolutely all William is totalitarian huh. uh, the monk is expected to uh, to surrender his personality and he becomes a part of the collective he's no longer uh, an individual person I find that very dangerous and even now my experience other... at a Trappist monastery was somewhat different you know insofar as if there is some homogenizing tendency, I could, having worked for six years at a Trappist monastery, same rule of St. Benedict, that in comparison with, say, like New York City or the college ride work, where people are trying to be individuals, um, the, the notion that like these guys wore the same clothes, they had the same regimented life, hmm. but it, it almost put like, you know, if we use the theological kind of construct that, you know, an individual is somebody who looks at the crowd and tries to do something different that may or may not be yeah. themselves. So personhood is what we're looking for, you know. Exactly. But, this is the, the, the yeah. authors. Have sure, sure. It's Azulis and the so forth. The distinction between the, the person and the individual being a very... I, and, and again, now these monks, they, and also they were people who took on personhood. They wanted to. And where at the college and, you know, in cities, they're not even maybe exposed to that or they can't be faulted for not knowing of that. But I thought the monks, by and large, did pretty well. You know, they knew that um, we tend to avoid people, I think, who are kind of unlike us, just uh, our, our energy fields conflict. They have to learn. So they stay near because they can't leave. They stay near yeah. people who have different temperaments than them. So and then they learn not to be codependent. They learn to be forthright in their speech. But I think, you know, when that's, especially that's when I think cool. of the college or, say, these cities where they talk about yeah. diversity, people self-select and they really only expose themselves to people who are temperamentally and politically just like them. The monks had very different politics, very different temperaments. So as a way of developing personhood, I saw I, I see what you saw, but I also saw. um I don't know. There's something pretty cool there too. That they they were probably more towards personhood than your average, you know. But again, they were professed monks. Yeah. But I didn't see it's quite as squelching as you did, you know. Uh, well, of course, it was a different community. Uh, yeah. The the, uh, the uh, well, it's, it's it's the impression I got. I mean, obviously, yeah. I think I think many of those monks who were in that in that community 
uh, would have been uh, would have found their personality in different ways and yeah. their particular spirituality and uh, um, so without getting to know the persons you can't really make a, a judgment it was but it was it was an impression i had uh, yeah, yeah it was an it was uh, it, it was an impression i had but nevertheless as 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 you said about the community you knew um uh, i'm very fond of of saint saint Ilred of Rival. Mm -hmm. um on friendship and... uh, on french and this mm -hmm. is absolutely vital is these is the uh that friendship doesn't always mean homosexuality in a in a monastic community. Uh, there can be friendship without any kind of uh, tendency to uh, uh, for it to become corrupt. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I think that's that's uh, uh, this is I was um, now I'm bringing up the subject of monastic spirituality because I've come uh, uh, I've come up a lot. Uh, um, I've uh, uh i've i've met quite a lot of uh, people interested in uh, for example perennial traditionalism and uh, esoteric christianity and i think these these the, those particular rabbit holes like mudo steiner um i think these are things that we can sort of uh, nibble at very very in great moderation but I think that the uh, but I uh, I think a very sound basis, uh, a very uh, a very sound basis of of uh, uh, the kind of Christianity we're trying to live is something like uh, well what can in influenced by the by the rule of Saint Benedict, and the monastic tradition, and then this can be uh, this can be combined with the the way we can nibble. At the uh, at the uh, the uh, the uh, um, uh, the so uh, the the sophiology tradition and the uh, the wisdom tradition and uh, esoteric Christianity, and I think you can go very very far wrong if you go too far down that rabbit hole. Uh, at least it's the impression I have personally. Um, I think uh, uh, I think others have uh, would have a different uh, a different way of. Uh, uh, of, uh, of expressing that, and I think a, a great part of the monastic tradition is, of course, mysticism, and which involves uh, the wisdom tradition and uh, the uh, and uh, and Christian esotericism. I think Christ Himself, uh, the the messianic secret, the uh, uh, the parables weren't so uh, weren't to be taken so literally after all, but they have uh, so many different layers of meaning. And this is this is one different uh, difference I have, for example, with uh, uh, with fundamentalism, both Catholic and Protestant. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I have a sister who's a who's a, who's a Baptist who married a Baptist, and uh, and um, I, I was uh, I, they came to visit me this summer, and uh, I think they they know their limits with me. Uh, they've mellowed a lot themselves. They matured an awful lot. Uh, they're a bit older than I am, but uh, my sister's husband, Steve, um, yes, he had some sort of rather, I would say, rather shallow reflections for somebody who has um, uh, studied Calvin and reformed theology and so on. 
and and I would think uh, I'd say uh, I would be sort of very diplomatic with them and not say too much. Uh, but I was the the idea that would go through my mind is uh, how what a shallow what a shallow reflection and what a shallow uh, there's something there's something very very <laughs> missing from that uh, from that uh, well from uh, shall we say uh, reformed uh, Protestant uh, uh, or Roman Catholic um, uh, fundamentalism. Uh, so this is this is another thing that brought me to uh, to uh, to uh, to um, well to romantic Christianity. Christianity. Um, another book that is of uh, is of great interest is um, uh, Nobility of Spirit by Rob Riemann. Don't know that one. Don't know it. Don't you know that? No. You, should, you should get that. I think it, it, um, this is this is very very important. Um, this is um, he's he, he's Dutch, but he speaks very good English. And um, um, he talks an awful lot about um, um, uh, this. Is really uh, what's at the. Um, uh, what is at the foundation of this book is the um, he wrote this uh, at about the time of 9/11. Uh, no, uh, actually a bit a bit before, but I think he revised it a bit because he he mentions the um, the um, uh, the fanaticism of uh, of Islamic terrorists and and compares them with uh, with with uh, with with Nazi. Fanaticism, as it occurred uh, in the uh, in the uh, well in the in the darkest years of the of World War Two and and the and the and the years le leading up to it, and um, he writes an awful lot about Thomas Mann. Yeah, he's a very interesting, <coughs> a very interesting character, Thomas Mann, the, the Magic Mountain, and the um, uh, the people up in um. Uh, recovering from TB up in a in a sanatorium, and they talk to each other. Uh, that's a rather fascinating uh, book. I was just reading that's it. That was my doorstop book last summer. No, the summer before last. Just these, yes. you know, mount, you know, this huge classic. You just take up. Fascinating, fascinating story. And the uh, the uh, the the ironic thing is, these uh, the uh, the uh, um. Oh, just remind me of the name of the town. It's up on the mountain. Oh, it's uh, now it's Davos, isn't it? Like because Davos, yeah. And and that's who, the irony, goes, yeah, yeah. And, and that's the irony. Who goes yeah. there now? Mm -hmm. Is the uh, the uh, the real life James Bond villain? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Spectre. <laughs> One of the things Thomas Mann had in his in his writings, it's there in the Confessions of Felix Krull. It's there in. Um, it's certainly there in the Magic Mountain in a in a big debate, but I'm also looking for where we began. It's there in Novalis in um in mm. Christendom or Europe. And it's the oh, notion yeah. of how and it's the notion of how dangerous it is to um this new thing. Man, you know, for Thomas Mann, he always said like he had people who could see that we're small in the universe, or people who could see the other way, that we're big in the universe. And Novalis has it here too. Um that's, he said the king in Christendom or Europe, he prevented bold thinkers from publicly asserting that the Earth was an insignificant planet. 
For he well knew that if people lost respect for their own dwelling place and their earthly fatherland, they would also lose respect for their heavenly home and its kind, would give precedence to limited knowledge over eternal faith, and become accustomed to scorn everything great and deserving of wonder, regarding it as the lifeless effect of laws. And that's a, it's a very, very, that's very central almost, theme for me. Yeah. And that's almost as if he was, uh, as if he was facing the present woke ideology. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's it's absolutely incredible, and this is uh, this is another thing that uh, struck me about Romanticism is Romanticism is not something that uh, is limited to the 1790s to the uh, to the oh. 1820s, oh. but it's it, but it was on and on. And Felix Krull himself, he did it in in one person because he was a genius and he was a confidence man. He came to a point in his life where he said. I could choose the world, I could choose to see the world with people as being insignificant, or I could choose to see the world as like, we're big and we're significant. And he put it in terms of like where we are in the universe. And he said, um, he looked at both types and he said, you know, that the person who sees us as very small, very small in the universe, like specks of dust, like Stephen Hawking sees us. He said, two things come from that. We, we, there's people who will be bullies and there's people who allow themselves to be shat upon and be treated like yeah. insects, right? <laughs> And, and, uh, and yeah. put in concentration camps. And so that's uh, the right. same thing kind of happens in daycare. Like if there's too if there's too much non-maternal child care, um, and again, uh, good people might have to like, you know, ideally along, you know, a daycare where you know the person and so forth. But like some kids enter in and there's a Harvard psychologist, Jay Belsky, who saw this, a great psychologist that it seems like if you just in the worst case scenario, like two days after giving birth, a baby goes into a daycare or a young kid impressionable goes in uh, for long term daycare, you know, 10 hours a day or something. Some mm. kid is going to go in there and say, I'm, you know, I'm not worth shit. So I'm going to allow myself to be pick on. And another kid is going to go in there angry as hell. So the bullying phenomenon, that's what Jay Belsky or Harold Belsky was studying, that it's it's oh, yes. it's mirror images of the same phenomenon. You know, it allows people who think they're not worth anything, and they meet people who are angry as hell and treat well, other old, people um, like shit. Uh, well, it's it's a phenomenon known in psychology as the empath and the narcissist. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I've uh, not. This only is so I... important as the mother, you know. And again, Novalis is highlighting the emphasis on the divine feminine, you know. And I, I, I was very, very disillusioned in my marriage. I, uh, I got married. Uh, at, uh, uh, I was 46 uh, when I, uh, yes, and um, <laughs> the, the, uh, the woman, uh, yeah. the woman uh, in uh, in question turned out to, uh, well, the way, she, uh, her complete attitude in life. And uh, I became aware uh, very, very gradually that I was dealing with a, with a narcissist, that's to say, that it wasn't a situation that could be repaired or reconciled with some kind of counselling or whatever. That it was an irreparable situ situation, and I, um, I had it very, very finely rationalised by the end of it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, before I, before I made the decision to uh, to get out, and uh, I went to the law, I went to the legal authorities, I went to the, I went to do, I did it, uh, we did it properly, went through, uh, uh, and I'm still waiting for the, for the final divorce hearing, and there'll be, uh, there'll be some many things to sort out, but anyway, I won't go into, I won't go into all that, but I, uh, I, 
this is an experience I I have had in in, in my life is this this figure of the the empath, which is uh, uh, well I, I have actually received a uh, a diagnosis of what used to be called Asperger's syndrome. I saw that on your website. Um, yes, that's right, and uh, which they now call high functioning autism. Uh, well, uh, what's in a name? What's in a word? Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a different kind of experience of life. It's uh, mm -hmm. uh, one experiences life differently. One has other sens sensitivities. How would you describe uh, what was that led you to inquire about that? What was your discovery process like? If that was somewhat recent, that you would you would want to ask yourself a question. Give me give me a sense for that, Father. Uh, well, the, uh, the what uh, what really uh, made me uh, made me search search for for what what was in myself was uh, um, well one was my experience with Roman Catholic Church and with with clerics and uh, with people like Monsignor Vac at, at uh, Griciliano and uh, and all uh, uh, well I I don't know if he would be. Uh, classified as a narcissist or not I, I in the end in the end of the day I don't really care because I've, I've no longer I no longer have anything to do with him but the real thing was my my marriage mm -hmm. and my first question is well what's wrong with me what, mm. what, what or am I in what way am I wrong before I can start accusing her of, uh, of anything uh and so I I I um and also, uh, it seemed I thought of it that, that it might be a way to uh, to get her to give me a break, as you say over in the states. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, give me a break. Uh, <laughs> and um, uh, she, uh, for a time, she sort of medicalized the whole thing, and so. Uh, Saw, saw herself as a kind of nurse to uh, or as a mother figure to uh, to to look after me and to to mother me and to nurse me and all that kind of thing which was not really what I was looking for um I was just looking for a bit of empathy from her but the problem is that she she just didn't uh, uh she had no care uh so well so, uh, to come out of the personal uh situation um that was what um encouraged me to uh, to start doing some serious research into my own life uh because there were other things in my life my my relationship with my family uh the um and uh uh the um the captain nemo stuff and the mm -hmm. uh and the storm in portugal and i sort of connected it all together hmm. from, the, from the very beginning my experience at school I, I i found it very difficult to 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 get anywhere in school and to get good results for you know academic subjects and so on and uh so um in the end i i went for tests uh, and well those particular there was a psychiatrist there was a psychologist uh, there was, uh, I think, another couple of people involved in uh, in sort of in interviewing me and asking me uh, the right sort of questions. So that was the uh, the uh, the conclusion that they came to. Um, mm. 
I suppose it gave me some self-understanding. Um, what's in a what's in a word? What's in a what's in a label? Um, it, it's certainly not a, a, an identifying label for me. Uh, it's not my way of uh, of affirming my identity as the woke people want to do, like to do. You know, whether you're homosexual or uh, a woman or a black person or a, a whatever. Um, but uh, it 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 gave me some understanding that I um, that it's quite strange. I I have a sort of feeling when I go into a public place. And there are people sort of milling about. And uh, if I'm not careful, I find myself uh, um, feeling their their feelings and feeling their intuition of uh, of uh, of following each other like sheep. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and and I think to myself, what the hell am I doing? These people, I don't even know these people. What uh, these people have their lives. I have my life. I'd have to rationalize it. But on a on an emotional level, I can find myself sort of uh, following and uh, and uh, and trying to uh, try trying to understand these other people for what they might be. And it's not always a very healthy and not always a very healthy thing. Whereas the narcissist, um, the narcissist has uh, needs those other people. To feed on. Mm -hmm. like a so, so these are the, these are also very very important things in my life that uh, well that have guided my uh, uh, well my uh, uh, my uh, my reading about someone like uh, yeah. like Novalis and the uh, and his prophetic is absolutely prophetic. Uh, Tell us why you think he's prophetic. You know, in what areas primarily. Well, uh, um, in this, uh, what you were talking about uh, just a little bit earlier, uh, earlier on, this, uh, this, uh, the uh, well, the people of Europe, the the uh, the concept of Europe, uh, but not only political, but the the human, uh, uh, the uh, the bullied and the bullies. It made me think uh, too, reading reading Christendom in Europe again, and Michael, I wonder what you think is that. Uh... Our friend Guido with his book on Germany, but the so you know John Milbank, the theologian, really big into the European Union. You know me a little less sanguine, um, but like you Novalis know, is picturing there is at that time Germany was the center of all the great culture. You know um, oh, well, yeah, everything absolutely. as he described it was it was all humming and right and wrong. Yes. You know there was a lot of reasons involved, but like. The genius of Germany, what Germany was meant to bring to the world stage. And this brings in a little bit of Barfield and Rudolf Steiner, that the cultural yeah. impulse was moving from Britain, and it was right there in Germany, that after two world wars, mm. um, just like going into Iraq twice, you know, the, the genius was like the baby strangled in the cradle. And I wonder, you know, it, since Germany never quite truly, Germany might be the center of romanticism, not come of age, right? Because it was supposed to come of age there you know what do you think michael i'm going to pull up my intro because i talked about precisely that so yeah okay here it comes yeah. yeah you know that again the tragedy of world war one and world war ii amongst other things is that 
um, all this, all Novalis, Goethe, the whole different way of looking at science and everything. It's just gone. It's and, gone. And Proust and but, the whole, yeah. uh, yes, the whole thing about reality. And, uh, and the, the, European, the European Union can't work, in my understanding. Like, Novalis had the vision, but it needed Germany as if Germany was going to fulfill its personality. Right now, Germany is an emasculated sycophant of the United States, well, that's, right? Yeah, that's... Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's really... What I would I gave a lot of thought to that for the conclusion of this this intro to to the to the book and then and put the context. This is our friend Guido Preparata. So the listeners will have Guido again on soon, but you can go to your favorite bookseller. He's got a bunch of books out right now. One is his huh. historical masterpiece, a bridge version of Conjuring Hitler. He's got one on the Algerian Wars, which is a, a book that really huh. um, it's called Phantasmagoria. Shows how kind of the British American team there learned how to pit Muslim factions against each other, um, kind of like creating proxy warriors, then they kind of turn on us. He's got a... Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. But uh, so Michael wrote the one, uh, this is the introduction Michael wrote for Empire and Church, right, Michael? Right. So here, here, here's what I wrote about precisely the European Union and Novalis. Okay. So after the European Union was formed, one of the, the important tasks set before its leaders was to create a symbolic representation that accurately depicted the aims of this new allegiance. On the mm-hmm. surface, this may not appear as important as matters of policy, but as imaginative act, as magical idealism, it is all important. The seal, a blue field with a circle of 12 stars, is intended to represent unity, but in fact, it is not f- far in the language of symbolism from the woman clothed with the sun and the woman with the moon under her feet and crown of 12 stars on her head from Revelation 12. Clearly, the ghost of Christendom haunts the EU, but the EU can hardly be called a Christian federation. Nevertheless, the Charlemagne Prize, awarded by the EU for distinguished service on behalf of European unification, is presented each year on the Feast of the Ascension. And this, despite the fact that among its many recipients have appeared not a few war criminals, but a man cannot serve two masters, right? So... My position, you know, and I love John Milbeck and I, I, I get where oh, he's coming too. from. That guy's so brilliant. Yeah. Reality says something very different. And I think to me, the EU is a diabolical parody. Yeah. It's rather like the, so, the Soviet Union was a, was a diabol- diabolical uh, parody of Russia. Yes. Yeah. Russia was a, uh, um, um, Berdyab had a completely different notion of Russia, especially in the, the end of our time, the, the yeah. new middle age. That, uh, that virtue of Schopenhauer's was parodied, right. Mm. But yeah, I, I know, so I, and I think that this is why I think Novalis is important. Now, I think this is why my publisher, you know, he had mentioned doing this two years ago and wanted me to write an intro, but then he put it on the back burner and then I recently he said, let's do it. And, and I think- Are you bringing politics into your intro for this one too? You know, send me it, I'd like to read it, but go ahead. You... <laughs> uh, but sorry, a you... little bit, yeah, yeah for, okay. me, for me, a little bit of politics, but I don't usually don't go too far into it. But, yeah. and this is why- Let's talk about politics. Precisely when confronted with over the last four years of the rise of these totalitarianism, totalitarians and really demonic figures you know the archons i call them all the time 
Well, yes, yes, yes. That's what they are. It, which, you know, to me, I mean, I, because I, Mike, you know, in, when I wrote Transfiguration, I was anticipating this happening. Mm, yeah. In the, the chapter on Ar Araman and Sophia. Mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't think it was going to happen so quickly. And so, but to me, it's always been this kind of Sophianic or romantic Christianity, which is the antidote to that poisonous uh, parody or um, simulacra of Christendom that the U EU represents. I mean, it couldn't be. Uh, yeah. couldn't and be Pope Francis as well, but it's this, the same kind of thing. Uh, Pope the, Francis is, uh, who is uh, who's just interested in the politi his political interests. Uh, so I think, so, he's, I think he's like a, a Janus-faced creature where it's just me. Like he, out of one side, you know, he's doing the bidding of like the, and this would be our friend Greedo's thesis. He's kind of made a concordat with the, the remains of the British American like worldview. Right. But the other hand, he's like, um, you know, then he, he hits back in different ways. He hits back because he's got a natural instinct for synodality in the bottom up and the divine feminine and our lady I, of you know, Yeah. As we were talking before the show started, I think it's, yeah. you know, it makes me uncomfortable both with in no, in uh, Laudato Si, even though I was really excited when it first came out because, as I told you, I was I went through the thing the second time through the footnotes to see if he mentioned me because it seemed like he was he was riffing off the submerged reality ah. um, a lot of what i argued there and i did and i there was this group studying my work at the vatican you know before covid and uh but even with this one the the motu proprio that came out the other day look, looking at that it almost seems and I don't want to be too cynical or paranoid but it almost uh -huh. seems both think now in retrospect look almost like the EU version of Christendom. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Yes, uh, yes, yes. A bureaucracy, a bureaucracy and uh, yes. Well, that's what I mean, you know, and I think the thing that the, what disturbs me corporate. is, you know, it's, it's like you, we went through this when I was at, at a college, right, we, it, before they closed. And uh, uh, they, the, the understanding was that the governance of the college was under a shared governance model. Mm -hmm. which makes it sound bottom-up, right? But I kept telling all the colleagues, who said, no, it, they, they, the administrators and people, president, it's, it's, it's shared governance as long as that serves their purposes. But the second it doesn't, they're going to kick us to the curb, which is exactly what they did. So I think, uh, you well, know... you run a big Jesuit order, what you do is different. talking about yeah. we're all in this together, right? Agreed, agreed. But the um, the... Again, the the kind of schizophrenic. So the the follow up to La Dauto C, which came out what right before the synod started, that too, there's so much good in there. But he, I think he's giving you know. So when you run a huge Jesuit order, as opposed to voting, right, or you know everything comes. What you do is you see a huge group of people and you try to meet the different needs there, and I'm and that gets very hierarchical. But um, you can mm. see him through the lens of running the Jesuit order because I know the abbot of the Abbey of the Genesee has to do the same thing. All these religious leaders, they get it. You have to please different factions. So he's saying, he's saying powerful things about from the bottom up with the environment, but he's also using like UN views of global warming, which kind of take the wind out of our sails. But it's not as incomprehensible to me as it sounds like it Here's is the to thing, you. Though. Yeah, I, think, I think these cats see which way the wind's blowing. 
And just like the World Economic Forum could see which way the wind was blowing, so they they enacted all these security measures. I'm sorry. Do you know the old English song? Um, in good King Charles's golden days, when loyalty no harm meant, and and it goes on and on. And if you read, you read those verses, you you'll see how the Vicar of Bray just sort of went along with everything <laughs> to to um, um, obviously to suit his uh, to, to to suit his comfort com comfortable life as a as a as a parson of a of a of, a, of an English parish. Right. And uh, the, the, everything the, there would be no there would be no constant. It's a it's almost the the uh, the uh, uh, yes, it's just absolute um, um, oh dear, um, pragmatism. Yeah. Oh yeah, utilitarianism. Um, but here's the question, and I think this brings mm. us exactly to our theme of Christian romanticism, which is not, which is mm. genuinely bottom up. Oh yeah, I prefer that. I prefer that, but he's, again, he's an epical figure of probably laying the whole thing down. I mean, again, I go back to the prophecy of St. Malachi. Let's hope St. Malachi was right, that he's the last pope in this way of doing papacy, you know, or as we enter from the era of Pisces to Aquarius, that like we're shifting from models of top down hmm. to bottom up. He's unabashedly in favor of synodality, whether this first synod is going to be hijacked by the no. neuter German bishops. The original German bishops, if they came <laughs> from no Valise, would have been... Yeah. We have synodology in Anglicanism, whether it's the, uh, the the established church or even in the Anglican Catholic Church, we have synods each year. We have diocesan synods. We have the provincial synod. I think uh, synodality um, working like in migrant ministry and so forth, synodality is going to hmm. get its real modern flavoring from the global south. Uh, America, we still can't get it. But when I see it coming from the Mexican communities or their 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 experience of Encuentro and so forth, it's mm. the model for the future. It's real. If this first one gets hijacked by German bishops, so be it. I don't think there's anything going back where we have to ship from bottom up models. Laminet started it, right? You know, but, bottom but, up, but he had to use ultramontanism. Bottom up, but ultramontanism. Uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. This is great. Yeah, this is great. I'm, I'm yeah. cynical, and I think what I read, my yeah. read is. How can we preserve our power after it all goes down? But I don't. But let's go back. Let's move. Let's move. Well, yeah, we have yeah, no power well, to preserve. Huh? <laughs> that's what I think. There's no power to preserve. There's no money. Uh, we're um, uh, I'm still a little bit like sort of my uh, the, uh, the way I I live personally. I have no pastoral ministry. I have no parish ministry, and I'm rather I'm rather glad I did because the uh, what I would have to do. Uh, here in France, uh, well, I would have to have the money to uh, to set up a public church, because um, the um, uh, because my little chapel upstairs wouldn't uh, um, uh, be abs be um, be compliant to safety regulations. Uh, you know <laughs> the, the way you know the way it all goes. So you know it's uh, in France, it's very much uh, it's very much all or nothing. Uh, so. Um, uh, in in, a, in that certain way, I'm I'm oh, well. I I realise that I'm in in effect a hermit, but at the same time, I use well. I'm using I'm using this to uh, to communicate with you. Mm -hmm. right. uh, so well, I do have some. 
so uh, writing writing articles, writing a few books, discussing things with you. These are things we can do. Yeah. So, Father, mm. what? How would you? What? How would you? Uh, characterize the qualities of, of Christian romanticism or of a romantic Christianity? Because I don't like definitions, but what, what were the qualities? Well, it's human. It's, it's, a, it's, um, it's humanity um, interacting with, uh, with, with divinity, with, with, with spirit, with consciousness. Um, it's... Uh, when uh, we we are, act, are reacting away from the machine, and uh, the, the, uh, the the machine which is which is any kind of thing that uh, that reduces humanity to uh, uh, well to a, to a mechanism that uh, that uh, that does its job uh, that does its job but is no longer human. So I think there's that. Also, um, in my own experience, it's it's a way to get 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 away from that kind of religion, whether it's Christianity, Islam, or Judaism, or or any other religion that relies purely on teaching and the word and the book, and or the magisterium, uh, for example, or the code of canon law, and uh the 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 the, uh, the 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 essence of this relationship with god is our yearning for beauty truth goodness uh to uh, the blue flower the mm -hmm. uh, the uh which the, the symbol of that of that of that uh, of uh, of the object of that yearning for truth the, the truth is not something we possess but truth is something that we uh, we we apprehend partially, only partially. This is one thing I've noticed with the with these wars recently. There is no truth. There is no. Uh, it's the fog of war. We're being told two different absolute truths. So, uh, well, uh, Aristotle came out with the idea of the the law of non-contradiction. Two contraries can't can't be at the same time true. Well, that's that's a question of logic, uh, but uh, but uh, so we have to look elsewhere. We ha we have to we have to look within ourselves. We have to look to our, our to our imagination. Um, th this imagination, which has been expressed in art, in music, in architecture, uh, in man's interaction with nature, uh, like uh, like my own uh, my own. Uh, trips out in the boat uh in order to look at those cliffs of the uh of the of the of the coast this, these magnificent uh, uh monuments of uh that has been produced by nature um these these are parts of our experience parts of our imagination we have to be we have to we have to learn to be human again yeah christ was perfectly divine and human there's that uh hypostatic union mm -hmm. that's right have, the we, reconciliation we, of opposites is a phrase that strikes me as key to romantic religion of, right, of, right. Of, of Jung. i've always mm -hmm. been interested in Jung. yeah since uh, since my own personal difficulties when i was at university and uh you know trying to understand some of these things because i was 
I was waking up out of uh, a show, uh, well, what, what I could call Catholic fundamentalism. Um, uh, the, uh, the, you know, the written word, the magisterium, the, uh, um, the machine. Right, it is. And that's the, there's a tendency for collectives to become machines. I mean, it's, it's, it's unavoidable. Right? Mm, unavoidable. Unavoidable. So, Absolutely. and that's why, you know, I often throw things out on social media or in my own, in my sub stack, you know, is, uh, mm. you know, like when I, like back in July, when I spoke at that gathering in Washington, D.C., my big question was, is a, is a phenomenological Christianity possible? Or to, which today I re revised to, is an organic, is an organic Christianity possible well it won't be it won't be possible on the at the level of society it won't be the it will never be a mass phenomenon this right. is this is another thing you'll find about this uh, this uh, this this fellow uh Ron, rob Riemann when he uh um he uh um uh he contrasts the um the uh, the nobility of spirit with uh, mass humanity and mass humanity being largely responsible for uh, the way that ordinary decent people could become SS officers who would uh, who would kill without uh, without any more compunction than swatting a fly. Yeah. Um, um, and that came from uh, that came from making men into machines. Oh, of course, you, I'm sure you know the film of Charlie Chaplin, The Dictator. Great dictator. That yeah. wonderful speech of uh, Ch Charlie Chaplin, uh, because he is um, uh, the, uh, uh, because Hitler has been uh, arrested and put in a concentration camp. And because he looks like Hitler, uh, he's, he's mistaken for Hitler, uh, the, the Jewish barber. And he got up onto the podium and he said, uh, you are not machines. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful speech. Yeah, it is. It's wonderful. And I think, a, Michael, though, yeah, and, and both of you, like, to get to your question yeah. about is a Christian phenomenology or is a romantic Christianity possible? That's where where we began with the French romantics. No, Nobody really talks about them, but they have to, yeah. in order, again... They have to because we we strangled Germany in the in the like again the the social ideas of Silvio Gesell or the um, that were in Germany or Rudolf Steiner the social threefolding. But I think Michael, mm -hmm. an answer to your question is we do what romantic Christianity in the hands of even the Inklings and the hands you know it's there it's implied in Christendom in Europe, but we've got to take seriously questions of politics. So you know your point, uh, Father Anthony, on beauty. Oh. Is key, but there's there can be beauty in politics. There can be beauty in economics, and we need to get serious about thinking about these things. And well, I know you're aware of that. Something I'll never yeah. be able to do myself, but uh, yeah. if if somebody else can uh, um, can sort of pick up the uh, pick up the uh, uh, the um, the banner, uh, yeah. I admire anyone who can introduce such ideas into politics and economics. Mm -hmm. I could do myself. I would. Um, uh, I suppose I've come to the stage of life where I'm a little bit like in the the film The Mission. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, there's the um, they're about to fight against the Portuguese, and uh, 
Uh, I, I think it's yes, it's the uh, the uh, um, Gabriel. Yeah, yeah, the Father Gabriel. If there is no love in this world, then I have no part in it. Mm-hmm. He only had death to to look forward to, and that's what happened. He was shot whilst carrying the Blessed Sacrament. Mm-hmm. And, and I think um, uh, what 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 I think really, I mean, this is my answer for everything politically. Mm-hmm. Um, is it's too powerful for us it's the, the machine is too powerful it is too powerful but that's why the idea is to create the parallel polis or the parallel church right so we uh, think that's uh, what christian romanticism that's, uh, that's why we have to be uh, hermits writers um farmers mm-hmm. um um, men sailing alone along uh, along the Brittany coast uh, alone, uh, seeming to be completely useless, but being uh, but but living in a different way, living a different consciousness. And Do you think there's a difference between a parallel polis? And we've we've had a, a podcast on that, Michael. But the, so at that time, if you're thinking of you know Poland and so forth, you still had kind of an aggressive communist form of socialism there you know and they but the when we talk about Mm. the church or maybe even again the way i'm looking at the the papacy of pope francis is that it's all crumbling down i think anybody it's it's crumbling so we go back to chesterton the five deaths of the faith the six deaths of the faith that building the the new in the shell of the old is a different intonation than a parallel polis but i think both are probably necessary but um Um, you know well what i think when vaclav havel and his compatriots were creating parallel polis it it wasn't that i mean they thought the machine was too big to, to fight too yeah but so what start to live the way the way mm-hmm. start to live in the truth is that was the answer right yeah no i and think you're right well, this, is, and, this and, is what we're trying to do you the three of us and yeah. many more many more people in this world and uh um the uh the uh the, the thousands of people living in their homes doing their jobs and completely invisible to us but mm-hmm. following maybe without without having read you know the books we've read and the and the ideas but uh some of them i've um i've sometimes found with sort of ordinary some of the ordinary working people some sometimes they they come up with gems of ideas and they don't understand it themselves but they understand there is a problem with uh, uh <laughs> the machine <laughs> um and well we can we can try to live as, as as best we can and if we can be of influence if we can have any influence in some way by r- writing a book which very few people will read a few more people will write uh, will read um blog postings and Facebook postings and uh, this and that. Of course, Facebook, it comes and it goes in a, in a flash. Um, uh, well, that, that's that's post-modernity. It's the, the attention span of somebody in uh, of, of a lot of people is just a few seconds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's probably a good place to wrap it up. We've been, we've been going for almost an hour and a half. Yeah, I yeah, go yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Well, but Father Anthony, thank you so much for for. Oh, I hope I've been 
You have been great. I'm going to link people to your web pages. Uh, tell people, Father Anthony, how they can you know say it. We'll put some links out there too. How people can read uh, some of what you've written. Uh, well, there's the uh, they can they can look up on Google um, <laughs> the Blue Flower blog, the Blue Flower okay. on on WordPress, and then they'll find the link and um, uh, and uh, the, they'll see that. And on YouTube. Uh, uh, my channel is called Romantia Christiana. Romantia Christiana. They can go to YouTube and they can uh, they can just look it up and uh, and uh, and they'll find it. They find, they find a lot of boat stuff, but they'll also find other things like music and sequences of me playing the organ. And because uh, I, I have a little um, I have a little pipe organ in, in my house. Oh and, wow! Uh, there it is. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yes. And then there's the, uh, let's say, oh, well, it's, uh, it's my nice, uh, what I call the scriptorium. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> and then it's, uh, it's, a, it's a fairly sort of simple kind of house. Uh, that, um, but anyway, I've, uh, I've got this room rather nice. <laughs> right. Father Anthony Chadwick, can't thank you enough. I'll link to people. And uh, we thank everybody yes, for course, listening yes. to the Regeneration uh, Podcast. You were going to say something, Father. Oh, oh yes, yes. Um, I, you, um, I, I, I take it you're recording this, uh, this video. Yeah. And um, and it'll be published where on YouTube or. Yeah, I'll send you links to uh, YouTube and podcasts. That would be wonderful because you you have my email address and then yep. I'll um, I'll uh, yes, and then I can link well, to the link to a uh, link to this. I think there's there's great hope because there are. You know, like the Inklings, uh, I don't have the uh, the capacities, the intellectual capacities of somebody like C.S. Lewis or Tolkien. Yeah. Um, they they were really uh, very very great men, and I'm certainly far from it. But in a, in my own way, I'm carrying the banner, and um, uh, others will, will do so after we're gone. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, oh yes, I'll just finish with this. As uh, a young priest who died of uh, who died of leukemia at the age of thirty-six, and uh, I, I think he's one of the last things he said to me when I when I last saw him, we just plant the seeds uh, that um, others will others will reap the harvest long after we're gone. You know. So, Father, I wonder if in parting you could give us a blessing in our listeners. Benedictio Dei Omnipotentis, Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti, Descenda Trupa Vos et Maniat Sempa. Amen. 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 God bless everybody. We'll see you next week on the Regeneration Podcast.